Thank you for downloading this audio edition of a complete chapter from the volume entitled On Common Ground, International Perspectives on the Community Land Trust. I'm John Emmius Davis, one of the book's editors, along with my colleagues Lena Algood and Maria Hernandez-Torales. On Common Ground was published in June 2020 by Terra Nostra Press, a division of the Center for CLT Innovation. We hope that you enjoy the following program. The Once and Future Garden City by Yves Caban and Philip Ross. This is the chapter two of uh, the book on common ground, international perspectives of the community land trust. Over 100 years ago, Ebenezer Howard set out on an intellectual journey to define what would make a garden city. The result in 1998 was his book, Garden Cities of Tomorrow, A Peaceful Path to Real Reform. It was written in an age when the memory of the Paris Commune was still fresh, when Marxism was still being formulated, when Imperial Europe was at its zenith, and when a young Lenin was still in a reflective mood. It was written in the shadow of the cooperative movement, which showed that people were capable of coming together to build their own institutions. In the late 1800s, there were around 27,000 registered mutual societies, the book led to the founding of Letchworth Garden City, the world's first garden city. Howard had been reflecting on the industrialization process that was still underway in Britain at the time. He aimed to bring the best of town and country together in the ideal town. In Howard's vision, the citizen would be king and the ills of the time, landlords, squalor, pollution and poverty would be tackled and beaten. Printed word became reality when funding was found to purchase a large parcel of land on which to build this new town. As Letchworth to shape, inspiring architecture was a key component. And the layout of the town was planned with simple rules that reflected common sense. For example, factories were placed in the east so the smoke didn't blow over the town. The architects were inspired by the arts and crafts movement and driven by belief in green spaces, a healthy environment and a sympathetic layout. These were the watchwords guiding the new utopia. However, Howard and his supporters knew that there was more than a good community and a vibrant town than a carefully designed site plan and interactive architecture. The social aspects would be of equal importance with ownership and citizenship the key ingredients. A garden city was designed to be just and fair for the people who would live there. At its heart was the radical proposition of the common ownership of land. This was important because the garden city needed to be more than a well-meaning attempt to build affordable homes. Although Howard 
may have articulated it differently, the garden city needed to be sustainable in the longer term. It needed to be economically sustainable in its own right, which is why the capture of rising land values was crucial. Community-owned land was needed in the garden city in order to be socially sustainable and to maintain a balance of affordability as land values rose. The garden city also needed to be ecologically sustainable in terms of its impact on the environment. Planning played a part here, as did local food production, which was built into the heart of the model. But underlying it was the notion that the garden city should own itself. Lechworth's socialist architects Barry Parker and Raymond Unwin were soon helping to design the Hampstead Garden suburb and other areas in the UK, including Welling Garden City in England, built on a grander scale than Letchworth. The Garden City movement quickly crossed the English Channel and inspired Cité Jardin in the coal mining region of northern France as early as 1905, and new towns around Brussels just after the First World War. Garden cities appeared around Paris, as well as in Germany, Switzerland, Portugal and the Netherlands. There were also a number established around Moscow, a result of Howard's book having been translated into Russian as early as 1912, inspiring Russian city planners before and after the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution. Garden cities and garden neighbourhoods soon expanded beyond the European borders. They appeared in Cairo, Buenos Aires and Santiago, to name a few. Brazil deserves a special mention since Barry Parker, one of the principal planners of Letchworth, advised the city of São Paulo in establishing the Jardim América development between 1917 and 1919. This was the starting point for a significant number of garden neighbourhoods and garden cities throughout Brazil, more than 45 of them. The concept of garden cities also influenced planning in North America. Three Greenbelt towns built during the 1930s, Greendale in Wisconsin, Green Hills, Ohio, and Greenbelt, Maryland, are among, among the most iconic examples. It is now more than 110 years since the founding of the first garden city. With all this history and experience of town design, community development, and various applications of the garden city model, it is time to ask what lessons can be learned? What should be the principles of a 21st century garden city be? We believe that many of Howard's original instincts were correct, but how can his vision for the garden city be delivered in a modern setting? Here are the guiding principles of a garden city. To place to start is with the declaration that the garden city is a fair, just and harmonious community. It should be a place that is economically, socially and ecologically sustainable. It is not restricted to new cities or towns, even to those that were built following traditional garden city town planning, architectural or design principles. A garden city is about community, 
not merely about architecture and urban design. It's about building a harmonious community, balancing and combining the best of town and country to create a community where the measure of success is ultimately the happiness of the people who live in it. As described in a manifesto we published in 2014, there are 12 principles that we believe underlie a garden city in the 21st century. They are inspired by Howard's ideas, by the legacy of Letchworth, and by successful international practice. We declare that any town or city or neighborhood can be considered a garden city if it embraces the following principles. Residents are citizens. Number two, the garden city owns itself. Number three, the garden city is energy efficient and carbon neutral. Number four, the garden city provides access to land for living and working to all. Number five, fair trade principles are practiced. Number six, prosperity is shared. Number seven, all citizens are equal and all citizens are different. Number eight, there is fair representations and direct democracy. Number nine, garden cities are produced through participatory planning and design method. Number 10, a garden city is a city of rights that builds and defends the right to the city. Number 11, knowledge is held in common, shared and enhanced. And finally, number 12, wealth and harmony are measured by happiness. These principles represent multiple doorways in the garden city. You can enter using any of them, but deny or contradict any one of them, and they become exits. Let's concentrate, however, on the principle that is most relevant to community land trusts. The garden city owns itself. That doesn't mean that CLTs do not also strive to put the other principles into practice. But land that is owned and managed for the common good is the main intersection between the garden city and the CLT. Let's explore the garden city owns itself principle. The garden city is ultimately owned by its local community and not by a series of landlords. This ownership and governance is derived from the people who live and work in the city and were its citizens acting for the common good. If the garden city is its own landlord, then it is answerable to and controlled by its citizen, ideally as a community land trust managed by democratic structures that make it both inclusive and accountable. This principle is the most powerful of all because it's a tangible realization of citizenship. It is about the real and tangible ownership of the garden city. It's about common and collective forms of tenure of the city and citizen control of the assets within it. 
Ownership itself isn't enough, however. There must also be participation. Active citizens who are capable of holding the landlord to account. Otherwise, the garden city will not work. We believe that if people who live in a city have a stake in its prosperity, that will help to engender the idea of citizenship. That is what Ebenezer Howard understood when he envisaged the garden city. The garden city was not to be a charity or something held benignly in trust. It was to have common ownership. Nor was it about people holding just passive paper shares in the city, speculating on its success, but instead participating in it, building it, making it an œuvre d'art, making it a masterpiece, sharing in its success and shouldering its responsibilities as well. The owner of the city's landed assets, or the owner of land and landing a neighborhood, isn't distant landlord, nor is it the local city council or central government. Nominally, the assets might be placed under the control of the local council. But in the UK at last, people won't have confidence that the council would defend or protect those assets. For instance, many people believe that if the assets of Inletchworth had been placed under control of district council, they would have been sold off piecemeal over the years to fund lower taxes and to gain political favour with voters. Instead, by locking the assets inside the trust, Letchworth's lands have been kept together for the long-term benefit of the community, in perpetuity, as community land trust slogans usually say. Garden cities are more than just housing, however. Howard's focus in ours encompasses the whole town, not just the housing stock. Agriculture, shops, offices and other commercial spaces, even industry, anything can be located on land that is owned and operated for the common good. How can this be done? How can people hold the land in common? There are many ways that residents can be their own landlords. This can be done through a co-op model, a co-op land bank, or a community land trust. Community land ownership. One of the most successful models of community land ownership is the Community Land Trust, CLT, which originated in the United States by Ralph Bohr Sodi and Robert Swan. The prototype for the modern day Community Land Trust in the USA was formed in 1969 near Albany, Georgia, by leaders of the Southern Civil Rights Movement. These CLT pioneers drew upon earlier examples of planned communities on leased land, including Howard's Garden City, single-tax communities in the USA, and Gramden villages in India, where wealthy landlords voluntarily gave a percentage of their land, which was then held in trust for lower costs by the entire village. Basically, a CLT separates the ownership of land from that of any structures that are built on that land. The Community Land Trust retains ownership of the land, whereas houses, commercial buildings, restaurants, etc. sited on that land are sold off, rented out, or owned and managed as cooperatives or for-profit small businesses. Now, we especially like the definition from Diacon, Clark and Gormales on how a CLT works. Open quotes. A CLT separates 
the value of the land from the buildings that stand on it and can be used in a wide range of circumstances to preserve the value of any public and private investment as well as planning gain and land depreciation for community benefit. Crucially, local residents and businesses are actively involved in planning and delivering affordable local housing, workspace or community facility. Close quotes. The unearned increment. Why bother with this complicated form of ownership? Well, the answer has to do with land values and the fact that they continue to rise. When writing about the revenue of the Garden City, how it might be obtained, Ebenezer Howard said the following, open quotes, Thus, while in some parts of London the rent is equal to £30,000 an acre, £4 an acre is an, is an extremely high rent for agricultural land. This enormous, enormous difference of rental value is, of course, almost entirely due to the presence in one case and the absence in the other of a large population and, as it cannot be attributed to the action of any particular individuals, it is frequently spoken of as the unearned increment, i.e. unearned by the landlord, though a more correct term would be collectively earned increment. The presence of a considerable population thus, giving a greatly additional value to the soil, it is obvious that a migration of population on any considerable scale to any particular area will be certainly attended with a corresponding rise in the value of the land to be settled upon. And it is obvious that such an increment of value may, with some foresight and pre-arrangement, become the property of the migrating people. Such foresight and pre-arrangement never existed before in an effective manner are displayed conspicuously in the case of the Garden City, where the land, as we have seen, is vested in trustees who hold it in trust after payment of the debentures for the whole community, so that the entire increment of value gradually creates becomes the property of the city, with the effect that though rents may rise and even rise considerably, such rise in rents will not become the property of private individuals. Close quotes. Cost and value of land tend to rise, while wages typically increase at a lesser rate or remain stagnant. Sometimes this land value rises when the taxpayer invests money in improving the local infrastructure, yet it is the property owners, not the tenants or leaseholders, who gain the most benefit. The real winners are those who hold a deed to land. The CLT is a vehicle for creating a garden city. Despite the prominence given to community-owned land in Howard's vision of the Garden City, as well as in that vision's early implementation at Letchworth and Wellin, this guiding principle got diluted over time. In many places that called themselves a Garden City, it disappeared altogether. Sadly, it was the architecture and design principles that would be copied and celebrated as architects tried again and again to build the perfect city or town through bricks and mortar alone. Garden cities became the acceptable face of town and city planning. Its more radical elements like the common ownership of land were often left behind. Community land trusts are a means of restoring community-owned land to the conception and implementation of the garden city, as well as a means 
of revitalizing citizenship, another of our 12 principles for creating a garden city. CLTs are also a way to remove the biggest obstacle to making garden cities a reality today. The garden city envisaged by Howard had a particularly daunting requirement. A group of trustees had to locate and to acquire 6,000 acres of vacant land on which to construct a new town accommodating 32,000 residents. That might have been possible in the early half of the 20th century, as dozens of towns, suburbs and neighbourhoods were being planned and built and incorporating design features that Parker and Unwin had pioneered in Letchworth. That is less likely to be a real possibility today, especially in settled areas of the global north. We would argue, however, that any town or city or neighbourhood can become a garden city by embracing the 12 principles we identified earlier, including that a garden city owns itself. How does that happen, however, if the likelihood of acquiring thousands of acres of vacant land is remote? Community land trusts provide a partial answer. They are a vehicle for gradually assembling land and putting garden city principles into practice now, not later. There is no reason to wait until thousands of acres are purchased and land doesn't have to, to be vacant. Even land with buildings already on it can be brought into a CLT, allowing existing neighbourhoods to be transformed over time into something resembling a garden city. As John Emmaus Davis wrote in the postscript to our 2014 manifesto, open quote, the promise of the CLT was that garden city principles could be put into practice right away. Something resembling a garden city could be created incrementally. It could start small and steadily expand. It could construct new buildings or be woven as a bright thread of rehabilitation and renewal into the grey fabric of a built environment already in place. Close quotes. Not only do community land trusts allow Garden City activists to get started right away, CLTs also insist on the essential conjunction between ownership and citizenship, as we do. While we extol the virtues of community-owned land, this form of ownership can only be effective if it is accountable. It is by being accountable to the community it serves that a CLT can share its prosperity fairly. Yet this accountability only works if residents are empowered enough to realise that individually and collectively they have the power to question, to scrutinise and to hold to account those who are operating the CLT. A community land trust is, by its very nature, accountable to the people who inhabit and surround its lands. It is of the utmost importance, therefore, that the governance and management of the CLT is fair and equitable, otherwise it can quite easily move from being a socially engaged organisation to becoming, at best, a paternalistic one, or become, at worst, a neo-feudal one that that exercises control but is not accountable to its community. 
A CLT without democratic governance and scrutiny would become the worst of all landlords. A CLT that is dominated by a small group has failed. It is no longer the owner of the land of the people, by the people and for the people. A community land trust that is economically aware and empowered, one that is socially responsible and driven by those principles, and one that is committed to ecologically sustainable practices, is a settlement that is truly ready to pick up the torch for garden cities in the 21st century. For Howard, it may have been a leap of faith to create a garden city. But today we know that all the principles of the garden city have been proven in practice. They have been implemented in settlements across the globe. Individually, each makes a positive impact. But the more of them that we can establish and connect, the greater their impact will be. The garden city isn't simply a utopian or idealistic vision, but a practical one. It works. It can create a community that is socially, economically and ecologically sustainable. There may be different reasons for choosing a model based on these principles, but at the top of the list is the realisation that it will deliver a successful and sustainable community for the long term. To those considering adopting such a model, take courage. You do not stand alone. History, common sense and a whole movement is ready to stand with you. This has been an audio presentation of a published chapter from the book entitled On Common Ground. To order the entire volume of 26 essays, authored by scholars and practitioners from a dozen different countries, or to learn more about the International Community Land Trust movement, please visit the website of the Center for CLT Innovation. We can be found at www.cltweb.org. Thank you for listening.